Welcome to Discovering Our Very Best podcast with Chris Conley and Deb Ellis. Stay tuned after this message from our sponsor. With all the headlines, are you wondering if your retirement savings will last? The market's ups and downs can keep you guessing, especially if you're approaching retirement or considering it. Your Edward Jones advisor, Daryl Olson, can help. If you have more questions than answers about what's next, you can work together to help ensure you're prepared for your journey. After all, retirement isn't the end of the trek, it's a new beginning. Stop by the office at 125 South Main Street in Bell Fountain. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Welcome to Discovering Our Very Best podcast with Chris Conley and Deb Ellis. The goal of this podcast is to share thoughts, stories, and ideas, enabling you to become all that God created you to be. Always remember, when there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Hey, this is Chris Conley, and I'm with Debbie Ellis, and we're going to be talking about the book Holy Moments in part one is what we'll discuss today. We're going to go through pages, I think it's 1 through 33, and it's entitled Awakening. Just to give you a little bit of background, though, Matthew Kelly currently is 50 years old, and he is from Australia. He's got many YouTube videos that you can watch, listen to. He's listed as a motivational speaker and business consultant, but everything I've ever heard him talk about has a huge amount of faith involved in it as well. Probably one of the best books that I would say he's most noted for is the best version of yourself. And that's kind of been a big topic, I think, for many years. But uh, he started that about 25 years ago Was that when that book came out. So we're going to go through the book, Debbie and I will, in four segments. The first one, like I said today, is The Awakening. He starts off in that book with a story about a monastery where there's a group of monks that basically serve the visitors And people come searching for all kind of life questions, questions like, why am I here? What am I meant to do? What's my relationship with God? Things along that line. And in the beginning, things are going well. But as time goes on, some of the worldly issues kind of creep in. Some of the monks become jealous of another. Things, like I say, the same kind of problems we have creep into the monastery. And as they become bitter with each other, it reflects on the guests that come. And and the guests aren't warm and welcome as they have in the past. So attendance goes down. At one point, then the the abbot, the leader of the monastery, he decides he's going to go away to visit a hermit that's considered a wise man, someone that he knew from many years ago. And as he leaves on the journey, naturally, they all want to know who's in charge. You know, kind of reminds me of the Jesus story, you know, who right. will be the greatest. And I think he basically tells them to figure that out for themselves. He's going to be going three days. And he makes the journey, and when he reaches his friend, in the beginning, all they do is just reflect on God's nature. I remember there's a story in there. Eventually, he tells them of the problem, and he asks basically three questions. The hermit tells him, you've asked three questions, I'll give you one answer. And that was, tell them the Messiah is among you. And as the abbot goes back to the monastery, by this time, he's taken five days. They figure something's happened, you know, he's died in this journey or something, and things aren't getting any better. But when they see him coming off in the distance, they all gather. They want to hear what he's got to say. And when he tells them the Messiah is among you, then they start having a different way that they go about treating each other. Because if this is the Messiah, I can't be backbiting and jealous and envious and things along that line. 
as they start treating each other better, then their kindness, their willingness to go the extra mile for each other, as there are some guests that show up, they all of a sudden have a better time again. And word of that spreads and more and more people come. A village even springs up. The place is thriving again. So it's kind of a neat story, I think, the way he starts off, that there had these problems and how simple the fix was. Right. I'm going to be reading from part of the book here. And if you do not have the Holy Moments book, you can pick up a free copy. This is our advertisement. There are two places. First place would be Darren Olson's office, and that's the Edward D. Jones office right near the courthouse in Bell Fountain. The second location would be the Rise FM studio, which is located near the Dairy Queen. So if you haven't been able to put the book in front of your hands, please do that. And then when I'm reading, you can follow along. To start out with, Chris did a great overview of what the book is about. And you'll see parallels in what he's telling us and how you can apply that to your life. But on page six, I'm going to start out with the quote, a still pond reflects the sun perfectly. God is the sun, you are the lake. When your soul is still and clear, you reflect the truth, beauty, and goodness of God to everyone you encounter. As the day goes on, the wind will pick up. The lake will be full of ripples, and you will barely be able to see the sun's reflection in the water, end of quote. And I think we can relate to that, at least I can, because there's days, I mean, if this is a lake, my life is a tsunami because it's just crazy. And I think when those times happen, you're just like trying to keep your breath and trying to keep above water. And I don't see God. God isn't even in the picture when it's really important that he is. So if you're any of those type of people out there that pack or as I do rather overpack every hour of the day, it can become habitual. And I think I've always been that way. I'm a type A, probably a type double A person. So, and I don't even drink caffeine, so I can't mm. imagine if I drank caffeine, you'd be peeling me off the ceiling. But I justify slowing down, like I don't even watch TV or read a lot of books or just sit down. And I always say, you know, when I'm older, I'll, I'll do all those things. I always put it off. And I think when I'm in a nursing home, then I'll watch all the TV mm. reruns. And I just keep going, going, going because I'm mobile and I think I better fit it all in now. But this book pauses you. It just says, slow down, pause, look at that sunset, look at the reflection on the lake, think of God and think of how he can be a part of your life. Because it is, it's a heart, mind, body, and soul that works together that needs our attention. It's everything working together. And if something's missing, I think that's when the ripples start and the tsunami kind of rolls in. When I was looking over the first part of, of the book in this first section, I was just thinking about people who do get excited about sunrises and sunsets and a sky full of stars or the full moons. And there's so many neat mm -hmm. names for the full moons. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll go out and say, oh, is that the harvest moon? Is that the blue moon? And then just the deep connections and how we can have heart to heart conversations with people. And those kind of people are the ones that you remember as good friends, sure. you know, that you can share that with. And, and I think we tend to surround ourselves with people that emulate that and think about the same kind of things. And it makes us a better person. Sure. And it would slow me down too, which is good to be around people that are calm. And because so much in life, we just go through, it's kind of purposeless drama. And if you look at my basement, aimless clutter <laughs> and waste. And I just think, you know, I was talking to Heather just a moment ago outside the studio and 
we were just saying how when your parents get older, when they choose to downsize or they choose to declutter their lives, what a gift it is to us. And I think that's the same of life. Mm-hmm. We, we have to look at how we're using our time or wasting our time. And I, I heard a lot of that in this book. Yeah. Did you, Chris? Did you? Yeah. I really like that story with the pond because mm-hmm. I see ponds and when they're calm, you can see the reflection from the sky yeah. or people on the, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. And when those winds of life, those troubles come, it distorts everything. So boy, that really spoke to me as well. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think our daily life is busy, but there's still opportunities to deepen our relationship with God and all the little things that we do. And the best, I think the biggest challenge is remembering to do it because like when I get up in the morning, what's the first thing? I don't know what you do first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. but you look at your cell phone, mm-hmm. you look at messages, and that is such a bad way to start a morning. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if we just lay in bed and don't open our eyes and think about, okay, God, what's in store today? And think about people we love and think about just calming things instead of jumping to that cell phone and, and, mm-hmm. and looking at that, because that just gets your adrenaline going right away. So I think hurry is a great enemy of sure. my spiritual life. And it cuts off my connections to God and other people and even to my own soul. If mm-hmm. I don't have God, I don't have my soul and I don't have my spirit. And there's a healthy kind of busyness that we need to do. And that's like helping others. Mm-hmm. And those are important. But I think so often I need to, you know, just take a deep breath and adjust my to-do list Yeah. because I write everything. You write everything down, don't you? Like uh, I have lists. List. Yeah. yeah. To do and right. things like that. Right. right. How many times do your list get transferred <clears throat> over to the next day? <laughs> it happens. It happens to me a lot. <laughs> There's always tomorrow. So I think we all need to escape from that intense gravitational pull kind of everyday life that can actually deplete our energy and joy and look at the still pond and look at the sunset and think of God and be grateful for all he has given us. Yeah. If we move ahead to the word opens awakening is what it's titled. He talks about a lot of questions that many of us ask, like, you know, there's something missing from my life. There must be more. Mm -hmm. I have more to offer that type of thing. Mm -hmm. In that section, he mentions later there, we crave more because we're made for more. And that made me think of Ecclesiastes 311. I hear that at funerals and whatnot. It's that reflection on what have we done with that time. Like you said, many of us waste time. We're all guilty of it to some extent. But I remember my Bible had to comment. It said, God's planted eternity in the human heart. We can never be completely satisfied with earthly pleasures and pursuits. And I think some people mistake that for everything else that we chase, You know, whether it's hobbies and living our life through our kids, things along that line. But we crave more because we're made for more. That that spoke to me quite a bit. And then he got into talking about Michelangelo's life. And here's a guy that grew up, I think he was born in the 1400s, died in the 1500s. And he was 80 years old, which was a long life at that time period. And he did so much. But at the end of his life, he said his biggest regret was, what has he done for eternity? You know, care for the soul. Mm-hmm. And then he mentions the advantage that we have, though, is that we're still here. We don't know how much more time we have, but the fact that we're here, we just need to make sure we don't waste any more of what we do have. Right, right. On page 11, you had mentioned at the very beginning, the author here, he says, treat every person you ever meet like the second coming of Jesus in disguise. Mm -hmm. And I think you alluded to that. Did you ever read that book, Dinner with a Perfect Stranger? 
it's an older I think I've, book. I've seen a I've it's, seen the movie. It's like a parable. Yeah. 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 With um da- it was written by David Gregory. And in that book, a man receives this mysterious invitation at inviting him to dinner with a stranger. And this stranger, the man, as he does go ahead and meet him, calls himself Jesus. But as the book reads on, this man eventually changes Nick, the main character's life forever. And I think so often in life, what Kelly talked about, about you know treating somebody as if they're Jesus in disguise. Have you ever thought about that? Am I the only one? Like sometimes mm-hmm. I'll see somebody that's downtrodden or homeless or even hitchhikers. And, and I, I kind of pause there because I used to always pick up hitchhikers. Yeah. I always felt so sorry for them. And then when I was about 40 some, my mom said, you have to promise me you won't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. So I had to give up picking up hitchhikers because I always felt sorry for them. And yeah. you wondered, is this Jesus coming back to see if I would do for someone here on earth as he would do for some somebody? Is that weird? Have you ever thought that? I've yeah. run into those circumstances as well. Right, yeah. right. Because they look different from us and they may be in a different circumstance, but you think, I should be helping them. They're here for a reason. Mm-hmm. And not that Jesus is testing us, but we're testing ourselves if we'll answer the mm-hmm. same way Jesus would. But that was just, I don't know, that's kind of a, a sidebar here. But when we go back to the book on page 16, Chris, they talk about those two hungers and the moments of clarity and mentors. And let's see, on page 16, they're just saying about... The two hungers were the bigger one and the smaller one. Do you remember that part? And they said, are you hungry? What are you hungry for? We're all hungry for something. Knowing what you hunger for is wisdom. And then they did the story of the Bushmen in the Kalahari Desert, and that's in Southern Africa. And they talk about those two hungers. And the little hunger yearns for food, while the great hunger is the hunger for meaning. And I think that all of us, you know, where do we find our meaning? And how do I get the most out of life. We have more to offer. And the two hungers, there's a moment of clarity when life finally makes sense. When you say, yes, Mm -hmm. the great hunger is what's important. What is my purpose? What is my meaning? I recall a sermon I heard one time talking about similar to this with the two hungers, talking physical hunger versus spiritual hunger. And that always has stayed with me because the contrast is when we're physically hungry, we eat and Mm -hmm. we're satisfied. But when we're spiritually hungry, we absorb information, we pray mm-hmm. when we want more. So right. big, big contrast to how those work, you know, the physical, physical versus the, yeah. Right. That's true. And I don't know if you, have you ever had a night where you're just kind of tossing and turning and you worry about things or what's the purpose of life or what should I do? And if someone asked you, Chris, what are you hungry for in your life right now? What would you say? That's a tough question. That's a tough question. You put me on the spot. Yeah, I did. (laughs) I'm not answering. (laughs) Hopefully we would all say we're at a stage of our life that we're looking to that place beyond. Mm -hmm. And it's not my golf game or something along that line, Mm -hmm. you know, something that's insignificant or more trivial. Yeah. And just just to connect with God more is probably something that I'm hungry for. And Mm -hmm. I need to work work on that. That's it's I just can't ever get enough of that. And I think one of the things he talks about here and later might be redundant, but mm-hmm. talks about holy moments. They're not passive. You know, they have to be intentional. Like you say, God may put someone in our path, but it's up to us then to what are we going to Take do about the action. that? Yeah, right, right. Right. That is so true. It is. There was a quote, I think it's on page 21, about once we discover that some moments are holy, some moments are unholy, our choices can guide a moment in either direction. 
And I thought that's true. And that's what yeah. you, you were just alluding to as exactly. well. And I, I saw a picture and it said, life has no remote, get up and change it yourself. And yeah. I think that's so true too. Yeah. We can sit back and we can complain or we can make a change. And that could be just even in our compass towards God or where we're going right. with our, our next step. On page 20, one of the things I highlighted, he said, regardless of anything you've done in the past, what matters most is what you do next. Mm-hmm. You know, So it goes right mm-hmm. along with what we're saying. It's kind of like if you don't like what you're watching or doing, go right. ahead and see what else is on. You, yeah. know, you don't have to keep on that channel on TV right. or that channel on the radio. You can switch it up. We've got the holy moments versus unholy moments. You kind of made right. some comment to that already, mm-hmm. but our choices guide those moments in either direction. We can make a holy moment unholy. We can make the unholy holy just by one simple change. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And when I was reading through the first section, one thing that came to my mind is it talks about the world, and it's the same thing as with that monastery and right. how it can all be going well, and then it's off balance. And I. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but when you look at the world so many days, it's it's confusing. You know, you turn on the news and you hear one story, you hear another story. And, and even then, it's just like a big jigsaw puzzle. And I, I don't even know what the parameters are anymore. I get so confused that I really kind of don't watch the news or mm-hmm. listen to the news because it's so depressing at times or confusing at least and i don't know it's to the point where i think let's just unplug the world and reboot it (laughs) let's start it all over again and i think through god that's the way we all get through that our current culture tends to exile god and the spiritual beliefs we have and that's a problem a huge problem definitely i think the way we start our day is going Mm -hmm. to have a big outcome on how the day goes and I've unplugged from most of the news, same, you know, right out of the chute, because that's the last thing you want to feed your mind with. Exactly. First thing in the morning. I know. Yep. I know. I, I totally agree. And and another analogy I was thinking of, of the world, it seems like there's just a rip in the fabric and our world is on one side and God's on the other. And he's the only one that can repair that rip. But I just feel like things are kind of falling apart. And that's why. We need to look at just little moments, like they were saying, holy moments, just little things, because those single moments, if they keep coming and coming and coming, and we challenge ourselves to make the world a better place, it will be a better place. Right. It starts one person at a time. Sure. You know, he gave the analogy you were talking about when life finally makes sense. Each day's a frustrated attempt to put together the jigsaw puzzle without mm-hmm. critical pieces. And I don't know if you put together many puzzles but i have and one time i tried one without the oh, picture oh and that, that was difficult you know wow. because you didn't know what you were trying to put together but i, I think patient. that again some people go through life that way that mm-hmm. they're missing critical pieces mm-hmm. and and they don't know where to look so that's good you know. it's just like you don't have a compass anymore yeah. wow yeah. you're you're um patient if you put together <laughs> a puzzle like that another thing i was thinking of when you think of people if you this is a tough question too chris who is the best person you can think of? It can be past or present. Wow. That, that is tough. I mean, there's a lot of people that have impacted my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I can think of a past minister that came along in my life oh. when I was like 25 years old. Mm-hmm. And he taught me so much about my faith journey, but also how he ran meetings. You know, you can be stern, but yet be kind. You know, oh, right. he didn't allow meetings to get off track. And I'd never been around people like that. So I used a lot of what he taught in church and in meetings at my own work, you know, things along that line. So 
Yeah, it's good to reflect back on that, on how people have right. impacted us. Well, and the question, to make it even harder, is if you think of, okay, let's say, morally speaking, we'll just use this as, as an example, maybe the best person you could think of is Mother Teresa. Mm. So that would be somebody, morally speaking, is a great person. And then who is the worst person you can think of, morally speaking? That's tough. Yeah. And maybe let's just pretend Hitler yeah. or Stalin, someone right. like that. And then if you draw a line between Mother Teresa and Hitler, where would you fall on that continuum? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's a thinker, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But I guess it also kind of points to the fact that nobody's perfect. Right. You know, no one's perfect. And right. we're on that continuum and we can slide up and down and God's going to be kind of the gauge that mm-hmm. helps us to move in the right direction. Sure. Mm-hmm. In that section I was looking at on page 21, he says, the more disconnected from God our lives become, the more meaningless life becomes. Oh, I was thinking of, I think it's John 15, he talks about the vine and the branch, you know, apart from oh, me, you right. can do nothing. So we need to be connected. You know? Right, for sure. Yep. That is so true. We have to have an invitation to live life to the fullest and to become who God created us to be. Right. And we need him to guide us in that direction. Big question, probably people would wonder, and I wondered when I was reading it, is you look at the title, Holy Moments, and it says a handbook for the rest of your life, handbook for the rest of your life, and 116 pages. Hmm. So my question was, what's a holy moment? Mm-hmm. How would you define a holy moment? Well, being that I've read the book, you oh, know. Oh, <laughs> you cheated. <laughs> no. I mean, it's it's basically anything we do that's that's kind. You know, and it can be the most insignificant things, so to speak. Right. We'll get into some examples of those later because the book he gives us, I think, in part two, where we go into more detail. Mm -hmm. But he defines it as a single moment in which you open yourself to God. You make yourself available to him. You set aside personal preference and self-interest. And for one moment, you do what you prayerfully believe God is calling you to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's on page 23, I believe, if people have the book in front of them. Right. And that's Matthew Kelly's definition of... What is a holy moment? And that's that's a critical question. What right. is a holy moment? And it's it's one that opens yourself to God, obviously, and you make yourself available to him, and you set aside personal preference. And the hard part is setting aside self-interest. Yeah. Can, yeah, we want to go a certain direction, and mm-hmm. that might not be the direction God wants us to For go. For sure. Yeah. Even if you just take a moment, as you mentioned, like to prayerfully believe God's calling you to do something that moment— and look for a decision. Those tiny collaborations with God, they add up, and it's all about life being a choice. I don't know about you. I'm a poor decision maker. I, I remember last January, we repainted the inside of our house. I am not kidding. I looked at so many paint chips. Then I thought, well, I need bigger paint chips. Then I'd put them on the wall, and then I'd look and look. And we're, we're just talking about like shades of white and gray. We're not talking about red, purple, anything like that. So I am not a good decision maker. I know I read once it said, imagine yourself when you're making a decision, imagine yourself 20 years from now. Well, ouch, in 20 years, I won't be alive probably. So that doesn't help me any. But I think I've also heard people say, after you lose, after the death of somebody close to you, don't make any big decisions for a year. Have you Mm. heard that? I don't know if that's attorney advice or just good advice from anyone, but it is. Decisions are, they're tough for me. I don't know. Other people can make them probably logically better than I can. Talking about decisions, you know, on page 25, he says, mm-hmm. if you only learn to master one moment in your life, learn to master the moment of decision. Oh. Because I think many times people go through life, they don't make a decision, you know, and they use the excuse, I'm waiting on God. Well, right. a lot of times God, you know, he, he doesn't 
feed the birds. He doesn't right. throw food in the nest, you know, type mm-hmm. thing. So mm-hmm. uh, we can use that as an excuse sometimes as well. Right. Because I've also heard when you pray for something and God doesn't answer your prayers. Right. And you said, I've been praying the same prayer for 30 years, God, right. when is going to be answered? And I didn't like what I heard, but somebody said, God might not answer your prayers until after you die. Mm-hmm. You don't know. Right. And, yeah, and sometimes it's not always yes or no. Sometimes it's wait. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. Right. And that's that's yep. a, that's kind of a tough one to swallow yep. at first. He talks about these decisions, and and you know we talked about holy moments and unholy moments, and and mm-hmm. there's this story in here about the boy, nineteen year old, he holds oh, up right. a liquor store and right. he shoots he shoots the owner and he goes in prison, and at that point he's been in prison for forty three years, and you know he said regrets teach us that choices have consequences. They reveal that we need to become better decision makers. Mm-hmm. You know, you would live with that your whole life. Right. You know, that one moment that you, you made a bad decision. Right. And it's unfortunate, but sometimes that decision can change that and absolutely. put us in that situation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I remember reading once it said, happy is the person who knows what to remember from the past, what to enjoy in the present, and what to plan for in the future. And And I think it gives you the incentive or that the reward is to be able to focus. That's mm-hmm. what's important. And those are big life-changing yeah. choices like that teenager. But there's a lot of life-changing choices we make. For sure. Even every day. As we close that first part, he's talking about how we teach children that choices have consequences. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of so many times we dwell on what's been wrong. But I remember a book I read called One Minute Manager, and he's talked about catch people doing something right you know, and reemphasize that. Mm -hmm. And uh, he gave a couple stories in there about how they train whales to jump out of the water. You know, they don't just go find a whale that can jump. They have to teach them to do that. Mm -hmm. So they, they hold a stick under the water and and he goes over it and he gets fed and then he raise it and he raise it and he raise it. So the same thing with any kind of animal training is kind of maybe there's something there for people as well that we need to focus on the positive. Right. I know, I think it was back on maybe around page 30 and they use the example from Matthew's gospel where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up mm-hmm. a high mountain, and there Jesus was transformed, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes were as white as light, the Bible says. And then in Holy Moments, he talks about that as being, we're all capable of being amazing people, and that God is never more than one choice away. And I guess an example is before you open your eyes and you jump out of bed, maybe you just thank God for that day and ask him to be near right. near you and help you with these holy moments. Or as you get dressed and brush your teeth, that's a time sure. to think about God. And during just daily rituals, jumping in the car, you know, asking your guardian angel to watch over you while, while you travel. And of course, when we eat, a lot of times we do bless the food and for our, our nourishment and things like that. But there's just so many little ways, even at the end of the day when we're tired and anxious and stressful and we lay our head on the pillow just to name three things we're grateful for. Mm. I know people keep journals like that. So I think if we keep exercising holy moments, they will become a habit. Sure. Yeah. And they have that ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Right. He says, he says there, don't let your past rob you of your future. Right. And I, I think of the analogy of when you're driving, you're looking out the windshield, but right. you've got the rear, rear view mirror, mirror. there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's only one-tenth the size. Correct. So we always need to reflect on what's past and learn from mm-hmm. it. But we really need to focus on we can't change anything about the past. We can only go forward. So right. I think that's a good way to, to end that. Exactly. Yes, thanks. So we'll wrap up. That was uh, part one. We'll hit part two 
which is Holy Moments Explained, with some of the examples that we talked about in the next episode. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Discovering Our Very Best podcast. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with friends. Remember, when there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. The Rise FM Podcast Network.